I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with the Weekend Review. Each uh, of us talk about movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Then we move on to the main event, which is a main review or topic of discussion. Then we finish up the celebration and joy of movies with film faves, our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, we will be facing the music with Bill and Ted's third movie, Bill and Ted Face the Music. And as part of that film faves will be counting down our favorite movie soundtracks so more on that the guidelines all the specifics of that later i am sure it'll be a blast though but first let's talk about the week in review shanna have you been able to watch anything on your own no, I have not. Concussions make that rather difficult. So I have been closing my eyes and listening to Simpsons season six, one of my favorite seasons. Like comfort food. Yeah, that's yeah. comfort food. And then what else did we comfort food? I have no idea because I haven't watched really <laughs> anything on my own or observed you watch much on your own either. Uh, unless you saw stuff while I was at work because you've been able to enjoy being home. Enjoy. Thanks to your accent. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm very busy with my treatments. Yeah. Yes. And some days have been more enjoyable than others. That's yeah. for sure. You have your good days. You have your bad days. But as such, since we've had an abundance of time together, we have had our week in review, a few movies and TV shows for us to talk about. First of all, I don't know when we started this. I think we talked about at some point the first half of this series but we finally finished the seven seasons of 30 rock starring tina fey jack mcbrayer alec baldwin tracy morgan i get the character name mixed up with the actor name sometimes and yeah because the character's name is tracy jordan so tracy morgan and a host of others Shanna, this is your first time watching the series in full. This is my second time. I saw some of it, uh, I think, on time, and wa and when it ended, I watched it end. What did you think of first... Well, yeah, what did you think of 30 Rock as a series as a whole? Let's start there. So as a whole, it's fine. There's certain seasons that definitely do better than others. I think I really liked season one, mm -hmm. and then I think season... Five, I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this because it just seemed to get silly in a in in the wrong kind of way for me, and mm. then it kind of came back, and and that was okay. Um, there were certain characters that I wanted to keep seeing that they wrote off because of other things that those actors were busy with at the time. Like who? Is it Elizabeth Banks? Yes, yeah. Avery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that character. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Moving on, I love Tina Fey, and I liked Alec Baldwin, and that was really awesome. What did you think? Well, first of all, I'll say... Oh, I love their friendship, The two, those two. I love yeah. their friendship. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you say that the first season is your favorite, because I feel like watching it now, it's kind of the, it's kind of rough in some ways. It's, it's kind of Maybe rough around the edges. Maybe it's season two, I don't know. You know? 
It definitely like kicks it up in season two for sure. I feel like the first three seasons are some of its best, and then four, five, and six I think is like what where you were probably feeling the drag where it did get like really silly, and part of it is because it focused more on Jane Krakowski's character and uh, Tracy Morgan's character, and they kind of teamed up and had a lot of antics. And for me, I actually found their dynamic really annoying, partially because Jane Krakowski's character is so vain and so sociopathic that I never found joy and humor in any of her misadventures. Mm. So for me, that's why the middle of the series was a bit of a struggle, a bit of a drag. Uh, before we move on, you said Tina Fey's character, and Liz Lemon, and Jack Donaghy by Alec Baldwin were your favorite characters. I was actually thinking about this because I was talking to a friend about the show, and I was like, you know what? There's not many characters I could say I really love. Like, there is Liz and Jack, and they're kind of closest. But you know who the ones I absolutely think were consistently awesome throughout the whole show? Who is it? Grizz and Dotcom. The Entourage. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah. Yes. They're definitely my favorite supporting. Absolutely. And, and I should credit them. It's Kevin Brown and Grizz Chapman, who plays Grizz and Dotcom, respectively. And uh, they were always really hilarious and awesome. And, and always supportive. Yes. And they kind of. And calm. Yes, they kind of turn on its head what you expect an entourage to be, right? You know, in terms of their personality or or lack thereof. They have so much personality and so much intelligence, right? They're kind of my favorites, but what did you think of the end of how 30 Rock ended? I like how it ended. You know, it's so hard going with a show for past even three seasons. Yeah. And then to see it end is very difficult because... There's so much pressure Mm. and there's so many ways a show can end. And I thought how they ended it was really nice. And certain characters went in certain directions that I like. So it was a pretty satisfying uh, conclusion for you. Did you love the series? I don't love the series. Like, it's not going to be one that I pick up. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, for comfort food. Yeah. It's it's no Friends. It's no Simpsons. Right. So. Yeah, I used to love the series. And then watching it a second time, a lot of the jokes feel tired. Uh. They kind of do the same stuff a lot. And I like it because there's still moments of brilliance here and there throughout it, especially the mm. first three seasons and season seven. I don't love it. I think I really like the guests. Yeah. The guests are often written really well. And I enjoy them. I enjoyed Carrie Fisher was another one. Yes, it's amazing who showed up in that series. But yeah, I kind of give, in in the second analysis of the show, I give it a 7 out of 10. Not as spectacular as it once was, but very good. All right, next we saw a couple documentaries from 2020. We had a great weekend. Yeah, that we, was a great weekend. Yes, we were trying to catch up on 2020 movies, and so we knocked out four that we're going to talk about now. The first one is called Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. And as I understand it, this movie is like executive produced by the Obamas. 
And essentially what it does, it's very interesting. It's kind of divided into two. But what it starts out as is kind of uh, telling about this summer camp for teenagers with disabilities and how that camp transformed their life. It was almost like a different society outside of society, right? Where everybody is the same. They all have struggles and no one's judged. No one's a quote unquote freak or anything. Gotta remember, this is like in the late sixties, early seventies. And so we've come a long way since then in terms of how some of disabilities are perceived, right? And so it starts out as that, but then it kind of evolves into something a whole lot more. Well, it's, you know, you see them as teenagers and youth leaders, and then you see them a couple years later, what they're doing and how they're really standing up for handicapped, disabled rights. Mm. And something as simple as where are the ramps? Right. For different buildings. Right. So really, or sidewalks. Yeah going to bat for you know possibilities to actually be a possibility you know so it was it was really astounding and amazing and their activism was just mind-blowingly perfect and i loved it it was really great filmmaking really good footage i found this thing quite inspiring and moving it is essentially two halves and at first I'm kind of wondering how the second half relates to the first half. And there is a, a, a there is a relationship between the two. I would say it's fair to say the relationship is tenuous because it takes a while into the movie before that relationship is even made. Um, the connections even made between the two halves. And it, it's not really something that's focused on too much. But... What is remarkable about this movie is the degree of empathy that it generates for people who are different uh, from you, right? The From the able-bodied. And you start to really understand through this film that the body is a shell. And we're all, like, who we are is just trapped inside this shell, Right? And we are not defined, who we are is not defined by what this body is and what this body is able or not able to do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really powerful and effective at selling that without saying it, you know, just yeah. through the examples of these people and the talking heads who are members of this camp. And I got to say, Judith Human should be a household name. This woman is remarkable. There's this franchise called Little People, Big Dreams, and they feature wonderful heroes and heroines like Ella Fitzgerald, Coco Chanel, Frida Kahlo, Audrey Hepburn. They've got Stephen Hawking. Uh, who is the boxer? Mike Tyson? Muhammad Ali. Oh. <laughs> and I just really feel like she should be featured in there. I feel like yeah. we need to know who she is, and it should start from a young age. I completely agree with you. Did you have anything else to add about this documentary? No, it's wonderful, and I think everyone should watch it. It's really uplifting. Absolutely. I think it had a limited theatrical release on the same weekend that it was launched onto Netflix. You can still find it on Netflix. That is Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution. 
Next, we saw another documentary from this year that was also intended to be released in theaters. This one did not make it to theaters thanks to the virus, the pandemic. It is called Disclosure Trans Lives on Screen. Shanna, why don't you share a little bit about this one? Well, let's take a look at the IMDb description. It's an in-depth look at Hollywood's depiction of transgender people and the impact of those stories on transgender lives in American culture. This was wonderful. It features a lot of talking heads like Laverne Cox, Bianca Lee, Jen Richards. Uh, who else have we got? We've got Alexandra Billings, Susan Stryker, Jans Ford, Lily Wachowski. Uh, there's just there's so many, so many talking heads here and what's awesome is those talking heads are all in Hollywood in some form or fashion now I am a big fan of how women are depicted in the media and how that influences our interpretations of beauty and so what they're doing in this film is really oh it's just it's so dense with information they take so many clips of movies uh, or shows anything media and it's from like the 1930s, 20s, as far back as that? It, no, it's before that. It's definitely like around 1902, if not before. Good golly. I mean, the depth and uh, breadth of the research that has gone into putting this film together so that you are constantly with each talking head story and... The way that this movie weaves all these examples and clips with the stories, information, statistics, facts, and emotions with each talking head is just this gorgeous tapestry. And if you know nothing about trans lives within the media you know, niche. This is a fantastic film to watch for this. It's also a great film to watch for how to put something together that analyzes media. It was just done brilliantly. Well, I think what you mean by that, that was actually one of my points about it that I thought was so interesting is how academic it is. It's such a, it has such an academic angle at looking at how trans people have been represented throughout the history of media and how that affects people who are trans and you know they grow up and what is it they see and when you really think about what is being depicted what what is the nature of a trans person in media throughout history that was one of the most fascinating aspects of this is the academic tone of it I, I love academia, and yes, you're right, but what you're also forgetting is that it's also how society responds to trans people with the media. I'm not forgetting. I, oh, I just okay. haven't gotten there, but yes, absolutely, you know, because uh, if, if you don't know anybody in your community who is said person, then all you know is what you see in the media, right? Because where else are you going to see, right? Maybe in books and literature as well, but... I would say that this extends this issue extends to literature in some ways too. But um, this was also a very effective, very effective documentary in gaining empathy and understanding of the trans community. You know, anybody who is has an iota of open mindedness and willingness to hear their experiences should 
definitely check this documentary out. It was very eye-opening uh, for me. And it's really cool to see all these trans people in this documentary. I found a lot of them to be absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. And I, hearing them talk, became interested in their career and started looking up their careers, too. And wanted to see, oh, what have these people been in, you know, that I may have seen or may not have seen. Well, it also makes you just want to follow them for the rest of their career and hope that they keep getting more and more parts and mm-hmm. more and more opportunities within, you know, their their passion, their career that they've chosen. You know, it's just because they also address what happens to a trans person if they can't, you know, who wants to make it big in Hollywood and, and, and isn't. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's beautifully dense. Absolutely. So I give both of those documentaries an 8 out of 10, some of the best work of the year. I probably fall on the same page as that. I'd like more documentaries like this. The particular format of Disclosure is fantastic. Awesome. Moving right along, there was an indie film that made quite the splash in the critical community that I, I think it might have opened very, very early on this year. It's uh, We've caught up with it finally on Amazon. I don't remember if we had to rent it or if it was on Prime. Oh, I thought it was on Hulu. Oh, you're right. I apologize. Yes. Hey, so, look at my concussion healing. Yes. <laughs> so it's called The Assistant, and it's by Kitty Green, who previously made a documentary, I believe it was about Jean Benet Ramsey, a couple years ago. Oh, I wonder if I saw that. I I, I feel like you might have that. We might you might have talked if about it. If it's what it I'm thinking of, I like this person. That was her debut, and this is her narrative debut kitty green is the director and writer the uh so the film assistant is essentially a a slice of life look at an assistant to a executive yes a hugely powerful uh film studio executive and the amount of pressures and chauvinism and little microaggressions and the uh, amount of sexual harassments that are witnessed within just this one day. It stars Julia Gardner. Shannon, you know her from what again? I first saw her, I believe, in The Americans. She was in a few episodes, spaced out. And um, I just discovered she's in Maniac 2, which I watched years ago. What else have we got here? She's in Ozark, apparently. Oh, that's the I other thing. I think she's thing. like a main character. Okay. Not a series I have seen, but I've heard a lot about. And, you know, the rest of the cast is not an all-star cast, and that probably helped with the keeping the budget low and also the general tenor of the film, which is very low-key. Shannon, do you want to tell a little bit about what you thought of this film? Yeah. On the surface, it might seem like you're just watching the monotony of this assistant going through her day and having to deal with some issues that are particularly disturbing. But really, every move that they make in this film, that they have the character, our main character, coming up against or having around her in the background is, is, is all just to show 
the female experience. I loved her performance. It was fantastic. We're with her the whole day. Being Julia Garner. Yes. And what I loved about this film is, yes, you're seeing the bullshittery of all the men around us in this film. But you're also seeing all the other women and how they're affected and who they are. And it's so wonderful that we're finally getting, in my opinion, films that are showing the female experience, especially this year. There seem to be several that seem to contribute to that. So I really appreciate films like this. And I really feel like during COVID, yes, we, we're not going to see the big, the big boy films, the big guy films, you know, like Black Widow and Bond. But now's the time for indie to shine. So there's very little I feel like I can add to this. Oh, because and, and, I did such a good job. Well, <laughs> the, the subject matter is precarious, I feel, for someone like me to talk about. I think this film is important. I don't think it's for everybody. Like, you have to know what you're getting into. It's a slow-paced film. It is a very low-key with restrained fury, I feel like. And that is not... The, the degree with which this film is very low-key, the degree with which this is a slice-of-life life film, the degree with which is just a series of phone calls and dialogue in an office is not something that's going to appeal to everybody and and i believe to the point where imdb it has like a 6.1 out of 8800 reviews you know that's pretty low for a movie like this and i think that's probably due to it just not being you know palatable generally speaking right this is not a good time charlie kind of movie and I don't think people like get that when they go into it unless they know what they're going into. I think the trailer made it look a little more suspenseful than what it actually is. That's probably fair to say. Yeah. yeah. It's less than 90 minutes. Yeah, and it's not so going to take away from your life. There's very much. little, yes, but I, there's very little I want to say about it because of that, right? I feel like it's very crushing. The realization that this is just one day of this girl's life two months into this career and she has to start all over the next day there's no uh this isn't a movie of catharsis right no no it's very uh realistic yes and so as such because of that it's important in its own way yeah it wasn't a movie that i absolutely fell in love with or anything it's important that movies like this that we can watch and absorb and witness the better off our society will be. So I, I give the film a 7 out of 10. I would do more of an 8. All right. So that is The Assistant, which apparently we watched on Hulu. Lastly, we saw a film called The Vast of Night, which is a little bit of a sci-fi film from a first-time director by the name of... Andrew and, Patterson. Yes, thank you. Andrew Patterson. This is a movie that you know, is basically on the premise that you're watching an episode of a series uh, akin to Twilight Zone or Outer Limits. And in that episode, 
There are two teenagers in apparently a small town in New Mexico. For some reason, I thought it was San Antonio, Texas, but this is, takes place in the late 50s. One's a switchboard operator. The other is a radio DJ in this town. They hear something very unusual on an audio frequency, and it's about them investigating that, essentially. Shanna, I'm going to have you take it away and kind of lead the discussion on The Vast of Night. This was a beautiful film. Um, if you're ever interested in the study of film and film technique, this is definitely the movie to go to. It's like they were creating a beautiful piece to kind of show the love of filmmaking. You have these really lovely, uh, what are they called? Single long shots. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing cuts away. Uh, that, I don't know, is maybe the first five or, it feels like forever, five or Someone did minutes? the math, and I feel, if I recall correctly, the amount of cuts, the amount of shots yeah. in this movie was like no more than half, a maximum of half it was of a great, normal movie. Really, and then there was, you know, beautiful. It, it's shot at night, so there's this beautiful opportunity for different lighting techniques and airiness whether it's like smoky or foggy Mm -hmm. but also clear as well they really play around with nightlight for lack of a better term and our characters are so connected to their community it really shows you what small town is all about you know the best part of it at least well of a particular era especially yeah i think we're following the dj Uh, the radio DJ, Mm -hmm. and we're seeing him talk to many people, give advice, talking about what to do, what to expect. And then you have, you know, our main actress. She uh, works the switchboard occasionally, and that's uh, our character, Faye. Played by Sierra McCormick. And she's lovely. If Everett, the DJ, doesn't know something, he puts it out on the radio. And if Faye doesn't know it, she knows who to call. to find an answer and it's just really fantastic i got a wonderful area 51 vibe in a way that i would want to see an area 51 you know film i really liked it it was a lovely story the way it ended wasn't necessarily what i needed but i appreciated it nonetheless i really highly recommend this film they do so much with it in the way that it's shot. There's a shot where there's, you know, slowly panning panning out, zooming away from a radio box. And I was just really enjoying the line work on it and the textures. And it's, it's really a wonderful film. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. What's, what struck me about this movie is how much it's like a throwback to the simple sci-fi stories that were written in the in magazines of the time you know in the of the 50s and the 60s and this sense of a certain degree of wonder and mystery and eeriness as well and there's a certain degree of innocence about it about the story like it, it shows that yes you could still tell stories like this today it doesn't have to be really in your face it doesn't have to be horrific it doesn't have to be showing you things you you never can unsee it doesn't have to be a lot of what you see today it doesn't have to be dark and gritty there's something really beautiful about that and yes i agree the filmmaking itself is interesting because there's a lot of different shooting techniques 
utilizing this from uh, very long one takes and yes the slow uh, the slow close-up kind of thing but also like another scene will have like this quick zooming through the town that i was left wondering after a certain point is this on a vehicle like what how did they do this it's really kind of kind of cool and crazy and then you have the framing device i don't know that a hundred percent knocks it out of the park but this is a very good movie from a very good directorial debut i i want to see more from this team mm. yes yeah, so yes the the fact that this movie forces you to listen and it's so riveting and so entertaining and fun is one of the reasons why this film is so successful as, as i said before is a very good film and it's one of the most enjoyable films i have seen this year shannon would you give it a out of 10 oh i give it a nine out of 10 this oh. film was just so unique to wow. me and so perfectly made it's one of those where i'm like i'm in love with this director now i'm in love with their team i want more I wouldn't say it necessarily knocked me off my feet that much, but I would consider giving it an 8 out of 10. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is going to make my top three movies this year so far. Very cool. So that is The Vast of Night, an Amazon movie. Did, I think it came out in theaters or, yeah, I think it came out in theaters in May. You can now find it on Amazon Prime. So that is finally our week in review. Now it's time to move on to the main event, which is our review of Bill and Ted Face the Music. When your wives suggested couples therapy, do you think that this is what they had in mind? Definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? Bill, Ted, enough of the delusions. You didn't time travel. And you didn't go to heaven and hell. Here's a real idea for you. Be role models to your daughters. Get real jobs. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to unite the world. And I'm tired, dude. Ted, we have a destiny to fulfill. Greetings, my excellent friend. We have a problem. Step forward. A song created by Preston Logan, performed tonight, will save reality as we know it. Oh, dude, we better write that song now. Or why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Take it from ourselves. Except, won't that be stealing? Cheers! (laughs) How is that stealing? If we're stealing it from ourselves, dude. Our dads are totally in trouble. We should help them out. No way. And that was from the trailer to Bill and Ted Face the Music, the third film from 1988 or 1989's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, starring Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter principally. The IMDb description is, once told they'd save the universe during a time-traveling adventure, two would-be rockers from San Dimas, California, find themselves as middle-aged dads still trying to crank out a hit song and fulfill their destiny. Now, when we review a film, typically we started off with what was good about a film, what worked for us, what we enjoyed about it, what was great about it. 
Then we move on to the bad. What didn't work for us? What sucked about a movie? Why a film may have been crap, even. Then we finish up with what balancing out whether or not the good outweighed the bad before moving into spoilers and final thoughts. Shanna, I think we should start this review off by taking a step back. You got to see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure for the second time recently, and then you got to see Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, the second film, for the first time leading up to this film. First, why don't you talk a little bit about your thoughts on the first two films before getting into what was good about Bill and Ted Face the Music? Yeah, sure. I like the concept of time travel in the first one. And I think the best part of the second one was the character death. The second one definitely had problems. And I think that it suffered from not doing things like the first one. Uh, because you come to expect that if you're if if you have the ability to time travel in a franchise, I would expect you to do it every movie. Time so, travel itself. Yeah, they didn't time travel in Bogus. I, I don't guess. believe so. They had a they went a different direction. So I suppose it was brave for mm. them to do that. Mm. And they get to meet death. So you know they're definitely playing with different dimensions and spiritual levels. Right, and Death was played by William Sadler. Uh, so did you, were you not a fan of Bogus Journey compared to Excellent Adventure? Yeah, Excellent Adventure was nice as a whole. Mm-hmm. But Bogus Adventure, the best part of that was Death. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is just absolute fun. I've seen that probably a dozen times, seen all. You know what the joy is of Excellent Adventure? Seeing all these historical figures mm-hmm. combined into one for one finale show yes, is just so much fun, as well as seeing some of them interact with 80s, the, the world in the 80s, essentially, like a shopping mall and stuff. Uh, that There's so much joy and, and fun yes. that is completely exempt from Bogus Journey, which has so many elements. It has robots from the future you have a journey to hell you have death you have an alien creatures alien creatures i should say a journey to heaven as well there's all these things i swear is like the epitome of someone writing up an outline while high as fuck it's so bonkers and it doesn't work especially Mm. compared to the first one in my assessment Well, the only problem that I have with this franchise is their depiction and treatment of the female characters. And I get that it's Ted and Bill's adventure. I Mm -hmm. get that it's their thing. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to be, you know, objectifying and possessive and and rude towards female characters. You you raise a good point, which is that the first two films especially were of a particular time, a completely different time. Mm. You know, the roles that women have largely in those movies are not great. You know, I mean, you could make a, a argument for the princesses. You could make an argument for Jan Whedon's uh, Joan of Arc character, but not really much else. Right. I mean, Missy, especially. Well, there you go. You brought up Missy, and I'm just not even going to talk anymore <laughs> about the depiction and treatment of women in these films. You could do a study on that. 
with those films compared to the franchise of Transformers. I think you'd have something rather interesting. I would say one compare and contrast. Yeah, one's something interesting. Yes, one's definitely worse than another. I would say. But what was good about Bill and Ted Face the Music after seeing those two films? Okay, here's what's cool. They go, like in the first few minutes, they go into the future. And here's what's great about this film. It shows us that the future has clean air, that no one's wearing masks, that there's no smoke. So I think we're winning. You know, the effects are okay, but they're not going to hold up very well even a year from now. Oh, so that's, that's unfortunate. Shame. Shiny, but not going to hold up well. I like the fun of it. This one was definitely more fun all round compared to the second one. Yes. And is is probably a little bit better than the first one, quite mm. frankly. I don't have a huge sentimental tie to the first one. I didn't grow up with it at all. You know, I think it's better than the first one. So... If I may, I grew up with the original film, sort of original films because, you know, they both came out when I was growing up. But even at the age of 11 ish, when the first when the second film came out, I didn't really I knew something was off here. And it was it was a bit of a letdown there. It has its fans. It has its supporters, which is why I took a look again at it. I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast previously or what, but I was very turned off by it. And watching it with you, it's it wasn't any good. You know, I give I give the first one a six out of ten as just a fun romp. I give the second one a four out of ten as just fucking bonkers, like just uh, not in a fun way, just weird, you know, uh, and not a good follow up to the first one. This film is an absolute blast. You know, the second film, like spoilers for a film that's. 30 almost 30 years old now but the second the film oh, intended are we spoiling things well the oh, f- I'll second let film you finish and then I'm going to go 30 almost 30 years old mm. it attempted like i think part of its reason for existing is bill and ted fulfilling their destiny it tried explaining that it tried showing that at the end especially during the credits right and this film like you're you're kind of wondering okay do we need a third film how are they going to, how, like, they've already dealt with everything at the end of the second film. What, what are we going to do here? And they kind of explain away all of that stuff very easily here and also complicate things further in this film. They figured out a way to make things make sense organically to this series as much as it can. We're not going for realism with Bill and Ted, but there is some logic and it does it does make sense within the context of the series and it adds to the problems that they're faced with and 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 on top of it all perhaps this one more than any of the other movies have more introspection with the main characters you know makes them really think about like where they are in life uh, rather than completely blissfully in denial or or what have you of this 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 thing that's they're supposed to <laughs> bring about right like the weight of it eventually kind of gets to them because it hasn't happened yet and they're 50 something years old 
you do kind of have to see the both of the previous two films in order for everything in this to make sense. I won't spoil some of this stuff. You mean right now. Right. But there are things that do come back, characters that do come back from those movies. There are issues I have in regards to that, by the way. We'll, I'll come back to. But you also have daughter characters in this film, played by Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne. And I love them. I will say um, Anthony think- Kerrigan plays a robot in this and he is a highlight of the film uh, without saying anything about that character right now he I'm is sorry, hilarious but what else, where else have we seen him i don't know i just because I'm telling, i couldn't find anything on imdb that was familiar to me i'm i am in no way familiar with this person uh, i'm just crediting who he is and saying he plays a robot and he's hilarious but uh, yeah, overall, I think this thing is a fun, hilarious film. Apparently, that person's in the series Barry, which I haven't seen, and the series The Flash, which I haven't seen, and among other things. He was apparently in Gotham, which I didn't watch, a bunch of TV work, Parenthood, The Forgotten. Anyway, I enjoyed this film. What didn't you enjoy about Bill and Ted Face the Music? I didn't like how shoddy the effects were. Hmm. That was really disappointing. I don't know what their budget was. I don't know how they coordinated that, but it really felt like that wasn't even on their minds when, in fact, you know, you want to do stuff in the future. Uh, That's really what your franchise is all about, and you didn't throw enough money in there to make it look seamless. So I did not like that. I'm surprised to hear that because I actually thought it was way better looking than either of the other two When you see them close up, you can... It it doesn't look right. Their scaling isn't right when the three of them are next to each other. And by three of them, I mean the daughter of uh, the guy that always came and got them. The daughter of the guy who always came... Oh, okay. Yeah, you're talking about Rufus played by... Yeah, Rufus' daughter. Originally played by George Carlin. The daughter, yes, they have Rufus's daughter kind of thing, and that is played by who? That character is played she by Kristen Mabel. Shaw. Oh yeah. I'll come back to her, but I wanted to just interject real quick. The budget of this film was twenty-five million dollars. So maybe they put half a million to effects. Oh, well, you got your <laughs> finish and retouching. That's, that's that's harsh. First of all, okay. Kristen Shaw is someone I was not a fan of, and I don't know if I've been tainted by her and Thirty Rock. It's Thirty Rock's fault. But I did not think uh, the character's well written. I don't think she did much beyond the writing of the character that was interesting. Well, it's that further, you know, sort of pushing of women aside. You really think that's what it is thing. because she's in it a lot. Don't, it doesn't mean that that it's quality or that they're giving her time of day. Well, it's more quality than Missy. I mean, you got to be you got to admit like there's nothing sexist Missy about Missy is still with us. <laughs> there's nothing sexist about this character. It's not like the character is written as though she's of that time when the original movie came out. Unfortunately, I can't verbalize to you the issues that I have with it because I have a concussion and, I, and I'm and i also a feminist and I don't want to get mad at you. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to have you not say more about that character. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
Um, I mean, I guess it's fair to say the less said about Christian Shaw's character, the better, but not for the same reasons, I guess. Uh, we have different reasons. So I thought the concept seemed better than... I think this movie better... Uh, you know, it's better than the first one. Uh, I, I there's, there's lots of problems I have with the franchise. There's a few problems I have with the film that I cannot recall due to my concussion. And yes, you'll hear that for the next six weeks to <laughs> six months. So there you go. Once again, <laughs> like last year. So you can't recall any other issues you had with the movie? Uh, Kristen Shaw is the only one you can think of? And the I, effects? I don't think I can mention them right now uh, because I think they kind of all fall into the spoiler area. So maybe it's not my concussion's fault. Mm, so my issue mm. with the film, mm. you know, I just thought of the Kristen Shaw issue while talking it out right now. It wasn't something that really stuck out to me. But my primary issue with this film is that it recasts the princesses. Now, at first, I was like, okay, let me research the original princesses, right? See if maybe they're not even working, right? Maybe they've retired, they have done other things with their lives, whatever. But I looked them up, and that is not the case at all. And they are still active. One even owns a production company, I think, if I remember correctly. And they have acting credits as of, like, the past couple years. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe there's a reason if I read the production notes about this movie, maybe they say why they recast the characters. And there is no explanation that I, can, that I have come across that explains why they recast the princesses and, and didn't use the previous cast members because... Who is it? Ted's father. He comes back. That actor comes back. It makes sense that Bill's father. I don't. I maybe I'm wrong, but I think I discovered that Bill's father isn't acting still, um, and definitely not Bill's brother. I think it was little brother. He's not still acting, but these two actresses, they are. So and and then furthermore. No, and I mean no disrespect to Aaron Hayes and Jamie Mays. They're fine. They're they're good actresses, and they they're very serviceable whenever they're given these parts. But I also noticed now there's an age discrepancy because these two women were my age more or less when the, these movies originally came out, and so you have women who are in their early forties who are matched up with guys who are in their mid fifties as their wives. And it just kind of further perpetuates this issue with the age gap of men and women. You can't have women who are of a certain age who are important or crucial to a a story in any way. And I found that upsetting. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why they're not back. Because they popped out babies and now they don't need them anymore. I mean, I don't know anything about their personal lives. No, I'm talking about in the story of Bill and Ted. Oh, but they're in the movie, you know. I mean, like... I know. They have a plot point and everything. Sure. What? what? A plot point. Well, come on. What do you want? Are we getting to spoilers yet? Oh, my God. That's where I'm itching to be. What did you think of the daughters? Oh, I already said that I loved them. I loved them. I thought they were wonderful. They were little copies of Bill and Ted because that's what happens. And I thought they were very sweet people. And, you know, it's nice to see this contrast between Bill and Ted and then Billy and Tia. 
Thea? Something. Anyway. Um, yeah, Thea. Yeah, Thea. Actually. Thea. There we go. Uh, it's nice to see this contrast between them because they're new. They're fresh. Life hasn't hit them down yet. And, you know, with Bill and Ted, life has kind of hit them a few times. And so mm. it's just nice to see that contrast between we're fresh-faced, we're ready to go, we're ready to fight, we're ready to be part of life mm-hmm. uh, versus, oh, my God, when will this ever get somewhere when will this end when will we achieve what we need to achieve da, 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 da. so there's some improvement there in terms of female characters i know you think you want to help this movie <laughs> 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 i do like how they're portrayed i like them yeah it's weird seeing keanu reeves without facial hair at this age it isn't ages it? him terribly it is very with long weird hair. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's get into the spoilers and wrap this thing up. Does the good outweigh the bad? Well, it's better than the first one, so yeah. I think the good definitely outweighs the bad. Really, my primary issue with this movie is the the casting with the with the princesses. I think that is grossly unfortunate. It would have been a joy and a delight to, uh, to bring them back if at the very least for cohesive for for cohesion among all the films but also you know for the overall good that it would bring but this is this movie's a blast i agree with you it's even better than the first film i give this film a seven out of ten how about you oh uh, i give it a six Ooh, okay well let's get into some of the reasons good or bad things that we can't we couldn't talk about before and spoilers if you haven't seen bill and ted face the music it sounds like we um both of us still largely uh, uh, recommend the film so do check it out and feel free to join us for the spoilers discussion afterwards. If you've already seen the film, join us for the spoilers discussion. Otherwise, skip uh, ahead to film faves in the show notes. Here we go. Spoilers for Bill and Ted Face the Music starting now. Okay, so let's come back to your issues with the women. Let's do that last. What other things did you want to talk about about this film? Here's what's great about this film. They do what they did in the first one. In the first one, they go back mm. and get historical figures yeah. uh, within, you know, just history, society kind of context. Yeah. And then in this one, you, you you know, we first see the daughters by themselves with each other. Yes. And they're just jamming to music and they're talking so academically about what they're listening to yeah. and comparing and they're then like they audio see their, files. Yeah, yeah. Then they see their dads and then they chat with like that. And it's like, Oh, that's such a nice relationship. But what they do is they end up going back in time and getting musical historical figures. And like, what's really cool about that is though the original film was a little simplistic about that. Right. And this film, like these characters need some like convincing in order to join yeah they're not just gonna go with you yeah they're like like Jimi hendrix is like uh fuck no yeah (laughs) what the fuck are you trying to sell me um yes minus the swearing but yes but basically that's probably what he thought (laughs) so i i loved seeing that i loved the interaction and then i loved seeing all the musicians they went and grabbed jamming out together and appreciating each other like you see uh mozart and you see louis armstrong appreciating mozart and you see you saw Jimi hendrix appreciate 
Louis Armstrong. Louis yes, Armstrong. Yes. And it becomes this pattern because then Mozart appreciates... Lou Fain or something like yeah. that. And it, it just continues. And then they get this awesome drummer who I think is an actual drummer. I, I, I looked her up because I was so taken with her beauty. You're talking about the performer is an actual drummer. I believe so. Okay. Uh, Lin Lun is the uh, the Chinese uh, musician in question that you're talking about. And then Patty Ann Miller plays Grom, the drummer. Okay, and I'm not familiar with Patty Ann Miller. And that's their mission. They bring everyone together because they want to make an amazing band through through time for their dads so that Mm. their dads can finally achieve what they need to achieve because they are aware that that has not been achieved. And uh, then the fathers go and they do their thing. They're trying to take the easy route and they're trying to grab it from themselves in the future. The song that they wrote. Yeah, yeah. they're trying to grab that piece. And so you see, they see different versions of themselves and it's just escalating and, and bad uh, until we see the princesses who are going to go back in time and grab their younger selves. I mean, they say that they're going to be shown how they shouldn't be with Bill and Ted, but we don't know what, what they got up to. Well, we, the the gist is that their marriages are threatened because of these events. And so they need to save... They need to save the the future, their future. They need to save their marriages, and they need to save reality because, oddly enough, and this is a bit of hooey in the movie, reality starts and time starts to come undone, and people who all happen to be famous start popping out of their their own time and into ra- other random times in well, history. Well, Jeff, we've never had this issue before, so how are we to know that it is or isn't bullshittery? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's certainly no looper. So it, that's what it accomplishes. It accomplishes this fun. It gets to show women who are big, what did you call, audiophiles, mm-hmm. and, and shows them in this beautiful light. Another beautiful thing that I thought this film did was at the end, they realize, Bill and Ted realize that it's the daughters who make the song. It's mm. who they've helped create. That makes the song that saves the universe and time and reality. And I liked that. And I thought that that was great because it shows these two young women's ability to bring people together and create harmony out of the different uh, things that each of those artists do. Ted puts it beautifully. He says that you aren't here to support us. We're here to support you. I am Dennis Caleb McCoy. He is the robot from the future who is sent to uh, kill Bill and Ted, or maybe not so much kill them as send them directly to hell, I guess, with his laser. Um, he says, I, and he accidentally lasers, quote-unquote, uh, Bill and Ted's families. He ends up becoming, like, he, he ends up going from this one-dimensional, solo-focused, single-year-focused robot from the future that we've seen so many times to a character with like a certain degree of reticence and self-confidence issues and all these other <laughs> things 
that is just absolutely hilarious and and a lot of it's expressed through the facial features too and the eyes you know this like gears you could see like gears working you know in there of like uh oops or whatever (laughs) it is you know and he's actually uh, kind of a highlight of the movie for me I love that they brought Death back, and yes. I like how they brought him back, and that there was a restraining order, yes. which I think is hilarious. Yes. Um, I would be terrified to give a restraining order to Death, because <laughs> isn't it like if he touches you? Obviously not, but like in not my in head, I'm like, oh, if he touches me, I'm dead. So I just thought that that was lovely, and it was great that Thea and Billy were the ones to bring those three together again, Bill, Ted, and Death. Yes. So they're definitely the menders of time and reality. Yes, William Sadler is brilliant as Death. He was 100% the uh, best thing about Bill and Ted's bogus journey, and he is hilarious in this film. Not as much of a standout in this film, but still really funny. I would have been pissed if they didn't bring him back. Would you? Yeah, yeah. I would have been really annoyed because I was like, but he was the best part of two, you know? (laughs) So you weren't missing Station? I wasn't missing Station. No, from behind, Station looks like a ball sack. So (laughs) I'm fine not seeing that again. Just on a last note, I love when Billy and Thea really compliment Death. Mm. and their power of being able to talk about music in an academic way his music in particular it just it wins people over all right so i i promised you'd be able to we'd be able to come back to this subject why don't you talk about the issues you have with uh, women in the film uh before we wrap up i just wish that we had something some sort of inkling of what the woman got up to These women love their men unconditionally and maybe they just had an issue that they wanted resolved and I'm sure if the issue didn't get resolved they would carefully and caringly continue to love their husbands as they did and I just felt like I needed more from them. It was their time to shine. The one way that they did get to shine, the princesses in particular, was at the end when they said, we would want to be with you and how can we help? And, oh, let's hand out instruments. You know, they were a little mm. bit, they went in the time traveling with Bill and Ted yeah. to, to, you know, bring music happening and frequency at the same time. So I just wish that there was more, but there wasn't. Fair enough. I would argue there is a lot already going on in this movie, and it is hard to devote more time to any of that's everybody's excuse, though. And well, I mean, I think that's a fair argument with this particular movie when you have you do have like three sets of pairs in this film, plus the future storyline with Holland Taylor, plus uh, everything else going on. You know, it, it's it's a hard balance to make everything completely satisfying and fully fleshed out. The most important thing I would say is that they gave a satisfying amount of time to the daughters. I mean, it would be even more upsetting if those daughters were given short shrift. The daughters were the one that got shit done. So, of right. course, they got time for the daughters. There we go. All right. Fair enough. So that is Bill and Ted face the music. What did you think about the movie? Were you as uh, 
thrilled as I was. Were you somewhat temperate towards it like Shanna was? Did it measure up to the other Bill and Ted's uh, movies? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. But now, Shanna, much like Bill and Ted, it is time for us to face the music. It's time to move on to film faves with our favorite movie soundtracks. Film Faves, for those who aren't familiar, is a segment of the podcast inspired by a feature that used to regularly feature on the website, thegibsonreview.com, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This time, we aren't so much counting down the movies as the music from the movies. Those soundtracks, which had a huge boom in the 80s and 90s and have since fizzled with the fracturing of the music industry and, you know, as such, the sales of soundtracks were fractured and diminished. No, we are not talking about scores. Very different topic, very important, and as such... The qualifying of making this list was a little bit challenging because there's a lot of soundtracks that are heavy on score. They may have songs from the movie, but like half or three quarters of it may be score. I'm thinking like an American Tale or, or, or several other, especially Disney soundtracks are, are guilty of this. Uh, soundtracks, I, I, I noticed when I was going through and trying to f- suss out my list of movie soundtracks, it occurred to me there seems to be like f- somewhere around four different types of soundtracks. Do you know what they are, Shanna? The ones that maybe you came across them the most. Well, maybe you can talk about them and I'll be able to contribute further. Well, first, you have your musical soundtrack, right? Mm. Pretty cut and dry. The songs from your musical in the soundtrack, right? That's what the soundtrack mostly consists of. Usually 10 to 16 songs from a musical. We're talking like Scene in the Rain, the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals, Little Shop of Horrors, Grease, and so on and so forth. So would you talk about Mary Poppins, that kind of thing? Of course, yeah, Disney musicals, Mm -hmm. absolutely, right? There's that type. Then there's the nostalgia soundtrack. Where it's a huge compilation of songs from the 50s and 60s, primarily. Uh, That was a big one, I noticed, especially in the 80s and a little bit in the 90s, too. That that was a big staple. Uh, Movies like American Graffiti uh, and The Big Chill are famous for these, right? Then you had, uh, what else did you have that I came across? There was some where there were songs made for the movie, Right. Especially in the 80s. That was a thing, especially like ones like Top Gun and and I think the Karate Kid and the Breakfast Club. A lot of soundtracks like these have songs made for the movie. And I feel like there's one more I'm forgetting, but we'll probably come across it. What else did you notice about soundtracks that you or anything that you observed? Well, I think it was very rare, but sometimes you had a, a sort of playing with the music. So it were, they would take a song much like Nirvana's Teen Spirit mm-hmm. and they'd change it up like they do in Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. 
And that was interesting to me. I mean, Moulin Rouge is kind of its unique category. Mm. I just thought that that was really lovely. And maybe something else that I noticed was sometimes with Disney stuff is you'd have one particular style, one particular way they were trying to move with their music soundtrack in their in the first movie of that franchise and then maybe the second one would have something more authentic sounding because they've already built up the audience and they can I feel like they can get more authentic and mm. I found that with Lion King and Simba's Pride. I have a question for you. Some soundtracks feature audio clips from the movie. Actual lines of dialogue and stuff. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino's you... stuff is is it is pretty it... notorious for that? Really? really? Yeah. Well, it, it's most of the time that's on his soundtracks. I think, I think in Glorious Bastards, maybe their soundtrack does it once. Hmm. If they do it, it's it's probably happening once. But Pulp Fiction, it's like all over the place. Pulp Fiction is definitely one. Uh, you know, f- Friends. I, I grew up with the Friends soundtrack for the TV show too, and mm. it had that too as well. It, do you like having audio clips from the movies in your soundtracks? Sometimes, yes. Uh, Sound of Music, the, the the song where they're about to go to bed, and the oldest daughter says. Like, I'd like a sip of my first champagne or something like that. Totally butchering that. <laughs> and the father in the film, you know, she says yes as she looks at him and he says no. <laughs> and she says yes in the song and there's no no. Okay. And I'm like, holy fuck, that's totally throwing me off. Oh, <laughs> so okay. I, I like it especially. Like little tiny yeah, things Yeah, like and I think there's nothing wrong with having it as a bonus track. Give us a bonus track, man. If okay. we're buying your CD, give us bonus tracks. Oh, another one that's guilty of it is Mary Poppins during Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You know, he says, now I said it to my, my girl, and now my girl's my wife. And she hits him on the head. Mm-hmm. And he says, and a lovely dear she is too. And oh, you don't yeah, get that animated little, character. You don't get that little piece. So yeah. what was your question? <laughs> but lines and actual scenes being mixed into the soundtrack. Do you like that? Like in like Pulp that? Fiction? Yeah, yeah, like that the sort of stuff. One? Yeah. Um, Sometimes I do, yeah, and sometimes I don't. I think it works especially well with family movies, mm. like Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. And yeah, but those are little that. tiny bits, not like the entire scene, right? Um, uh, of dialogue. I'm not a fan of it. I feel like, like, mm. uh, for the most part, I feel like it kind of interrupts a flow for me. I also want to ask you, in terms of crafting your list, was it a matter for you of soundtracks that you that you grew up with kind of thing, you had a personal attachment to, or was it like these are soundtracks that are that go really well with the movie, uh, a particular movie and its themes and all that sort of stuff, and that's why it's on my list. Like, what, what was it about... A soundtrack that like particularly appealed to you in, in generally speaking in terms of crafting this list this was definitely an interesting list to craft because it was so easy i knew what i wanted on the list and that was that there was no sort of swaying or changing me okay or you know exposing myself to other lists it was like no why is that on there you know okay. and sometimes it would be movies that i hadn't seen but other times not and it was just very interesting to know that I know what I like with the music related to movies and the formulation of the list. Like I knew what would be my top five. 
Mm. You know, I knew exactly what they were going to be. And I knew what I would have to shove somewhere else. Mm. And some of them are sentimental because some of them are like, oh, well, when you and I met or a first superhero film that I actually liked. And, you know, other times it'll be like, well, that was nice during my childhood. And other times it'll be, well, this was fun because it got me over a mourning period that Mm. I was having, you know? Yeah, for me, I mean, these were mostly soundtracks that I grew up with you know I noticed a lot of soundtracks are from the 80s and 90s generally speaking and that makes sense because that was when soundtrack sales went through the roof and uh, a lot of what I have on my list is stuff that I grew up with I have something like six soundtracks or so still in on vinyl that I grew up with in my childhood I'm old enough to have grown up on vinyl or cassette even and you'll see some of that reflected here and then others are just absolute like favorites in terms of like they have a higher quotient of songs that i love than maybe others but i did have to go through like something like a couple dozen soundtracks at first and whittle it down to 12 and and kind of get it finite why don't you start us off with all that said with your number 12 favorite soundtrack my number 12 is disney of course (laughs) it's bedknobs and broomsticks starring angela lansbury and then who is the guy that i keep forgetting david tomlinson perfect and uh, you know my first exposure to this film was at a sort of daycare setting where i was in the daycare as a kid and The songs are just so beautiful, and I just love On the Bottom of the Beautiful Brimey Sea and Portobello Road, Portobello Road. Yeah. It's just, it's really unique to me and fun, and there's animation and live action overlaying, and that's just really fun for me, and I love the songs. Portobello Road. Portobello Road, street where the riches of ages are stowed. Anything and everything a chap can unload is sold off the barrow in Portobello Road. You'll find what you want in the Portobello Road. Yeah, no, the film film itself is a lot of fun and enjoyable. But in terms of the soundtrack itself... I think a lot of people forget, like, I was looking through it too, and there was a contender, even though I never owned the soundtrack to Bedknobs and Broomsticks, uh, it was a contender for me because so many of those songs are so delightful. Yeah, and they're really sweet. There's even a song, I should have mentioned this earlier, that talks about growing up when you're in the age of not believing. and. That there's like there's no songs out there that deal with that in Disney, you know. And how nice is it if you're heading into your your preteens to know that adults get it and it's going to be okay. Excellent. My number twelve is the only soundtrack I think on my list that I have never owned. But when I was researching and it came up, I was like, oh my gosh, how have I never even occurred to me to ever get this? And it is from 1971's Fiddler on the Roof. 
And it's one of a... Oh, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, it the is. The song I couldn't stop singing the other night. Oh, really? That's so funny. <laughs> it's one of a handful of musicals that you will hear on this list. But when you take into consideration, you have Sunrise, Sunset, Tradition, If I Were a Rich Man, Matchmaker song, uh, Do You Love Me? There's so many songs in this songbook that are among my favorite of any musical ever made. And so, you know, I might have to remedy this some sometime uh, in, in terms of not having the soundtrack. I know this and many others are available on Spotify to stream and Amazon Music, those kinds of things perhaps. But uh, I, I do love it. And, uh, and it's, it's one of the greatest musicals, so it's kind of a no-brainer. That's Fiddler on the Roof. My number 11 is, again, from Disney, it is Lilo and Stitch. Oh, interesting. You know, this is probably one of those nostalgia categories that you're talking about because mostly it's Elvis Presley singing. It actually has Elvis. It's not a bunch of covers. Uh, There's one cover, two covers. One by A-teens because they've always got to include the teens. (laughs) One by Winona Judd. Okay. Winona Judd does Burning Love, and I, I quite like that one. It is a pretty good version of that yeah, song, yes. it was lovely. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, it's so sweet because when you're watching the movie and every time a song comes up, it's how Lilo is kind of shifting dynamics and mm. trying to show her love, and she just doesn't get it. If you don't know who Elvis is, how can you not know? And I didn't. Like, I wasn't really into his music, and then I watched this movie, and I was like, hey, this isn't so bad. And, you know, on the soundtrack as well, there's also those beautiful nods to Hawaiian music. You've got Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride, and I don't know how to say this, but Hemele no Lilo. And it's just, it's when she's at her dance class, and it's when she's riding the waves. And that's when the Hawaiian music Mm -hmm. takes over. Awesome. Very cool. My number 11 is my one cheat sort of on this whole list Uh, you know look like you might get me at one or two cheats the entire year Uh on these lists all right then what's your cheat pretty rare but i grew up with this i grew up with the movie it is an unofficial soundtrack to the movie highlander the album a kind of magic by queen It features such songs as Princes of the Universe, Don't Lose Your Head. There's like, uh, uh, Give Me the Prize, which is Kurgan, the villain's theme. Uh, Who Wants to Live Forever? Something like half of this album or so is in the film, right? So it was kind of considered when it came out in, I think, 1986 as the unofficial soundtrack to Highlander because Highlander otherwise didn't have a soundtrack, uh, oddly enough. I mean, Queen did the music for the movie, right? Much like they did for Flash Gordon. And I think they have an album of of Flash Gordon, right? Um, So yeah, Highlander. And I used to rock out to these songs and I, I still think they're pretty badass and beautiful at times and heartfelt and wonderful while also really cool and actually going to your point before about things like sound of music and and i think mary poppins there is a song i think it's kurgan's theme give me the prize is what it was uh, i think that one actually has the sounds effects of the two 
clashing swords, you know, mm-hmm. and having a sword fight. Probably a little cheesy today during a guitar solo kind of thing in the background. But um, awesome, badass. Love this soundtrack by Queen. It is A Kind of Magic, the unofficial soundtrack to Highlander. All right, my number 10. There are so many people that don't like this movie, but I love this movie. I thought it was a really fun way to take this old school story and give it a little sci-fi spin Mm. and have fun with it i'm worried (laughs) what is this i don't care what you think the cat from outer space (laughs) what is this i don't know freaky friday i i thought about that one for a while because there's one song on there i like (laughs) anyway this album is a very happy album and it got me through mourning the loss of my dog and so it's a really special one so it is the soundtrack again disney from chicken little it is so fun it's stir it up by patty labelle and joss stone Ah. it's the end of the world by rem it's one little slip bare naked ladies it makes the cheetah girls sound like fun with shake a tail feather oh wow it's just like okay it makes sense that that would be there and uh all i know five for fighting don't go breaking my heart wannabe with joan cusack and steve's on so it's not you know Right. These 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 characters like singing and well, you know, the duck does and the pig and uh, to some extent fish. So it, it's really fun. And Zach Braff does a little we are the champions. So how can you not like think this is cute? <laughs> I, I hate that this movie gets a bad rap because I think it was a cute. It was a cute risk. Stir it up. That actually, by Patti LaBelle originally, was in a soundtrack originally that I actually took into consideration for this list that I have on vinyl still, uh, the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack. It's like the second song, I think, in that soundtrack. It's a really great song. It's Mm, so great. It's fun. It's definitely fun. I think that's the one that we open. No, we open with one little slip Mm. and then stir it up comes when he's like figuring stuff out. Very so it's cool. a really great montage. My 10th favorite soundtrack is another musical. I had to play around quite a bit with where to put this one. It was one of those where there's like one song on there that I'm not a fan of, but pretty much love the rest. That's non-score. It is Bride and Prejudice. So this is a movie that we've championed a few times by Gurinder Chadha. It was this 
Bollywood flavored take on the Jane Austen Pride and Prejudice story. And I absolutely love it a large part because of the songs and the soundtrack then by extension would not be too much of a surprise. You know, we have, what is it? No life without wife. You have marriage has come to town and a handful of other lovely Indian flavored, like Hindi flavored songs that are just it's just a, a, a lot of fun, this soundtrack. You are the golden girl, the center of the world. So just ask and you shall have it. And this is your moment, grab it. Your wish is a command. We supply what you demand. You turn the world around. You got a marriage into I have a thing for the sitar sound, I guess. It's awesome. So, yeah, Bride and Prejudice is my 10th favorite soundtrack of all time. My number nine is a little tricksy. I, because this this uh, franchise has three films and uh, it's all great soundtracks. Mm. But I'll go for number three. Okay. Um, I was going to say, are you going to two? <laughs> Maybe a little because I haven't even seen the third movie, but oh. I, I like the soundtrack. I've seen the performances on YouTube. Curious, what is it? Is it Pitch Perfect 3? It's Pitch Perfect 3, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, on their soundtrack, they even have the Universal Fanfare performed by the Bellas. Well, that's fun. And I just think that that's so stinking cute. They have Toxic. They have Cake by the Ocean. Freedom. They have... Like the George Michael song, Freedom? I think so, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and then they have a whole bunch of other things that they play with. Mm. Uh, that I really appreciate. Maybe number two is slightly better than number three. I'm not really sure. In terms of music? The soundtrack-wise, so yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of other artists on this one, so that's why I picked it. Yeah. It's just pure fun. That's a, I never would have occurred to me, the Pitch Perfect soundtracks. I'm sure they're they're all solid. My ninth favorite soundtrack is 500 Days of Summer. Oh, that makes sense for you, yes. Well, here's the thing about this. Okay, so when this movie was coming out, I had seen the trailers, been incredibly intrigued based on the trailers. I'd heard hours of reviews on podcasts and just absolutely was falling in love with this movie and the soundtrack was a piece of that puzzle. Listening to that soundtrack how it starts with this narration that tells us up front, this is not a love story. And then you have songs by the Smiths and so many other, like, I don't know, like there, there are a bunch of bands that I really hadn't heard of aside from the Smiths for the most part, but they're really good songs, you know, and they capture all these different moods. You know, Hollow Notes, obviously, that's one I've heard of, you know, uh, You Make My Dreams Come True captures this this idea of like finally 
having a night with a girl or finally getting a date with a girl or whatever it is, you know, and just the absolute jubilation that the, that can come from that feeling of, of having been able to obtain that one little thing with this person that you've pined after. And, it, you know, it's, it's somewhat reflective, too, of the different shades of the movie. Regina Spector is also featured in the soundtrack oh, twice. I like her. You know, I love song Hero and Us. Those are uh, great songs. So, yeah, 500 Days of Summer definitely managed to squeeze itself on my list as my ninth favorite. My number eight, I was going to say nine, but we're going on to eight right now, <laughs> is Once. Oh. Because it's one of the first love movies that we talked about and watched apart from each other and I think we were apart no we were together and then we listened to the soundtrack apart Mm. and I think that Falling Slowly if anything that is my favorite song that they make Mm. and the words are just beautiful and they make me cry just thinking about it right now so just what a sweet romance in that film uh, what a wonderful get-together uh, and making such wonderful music. My eighth favorite soundtrack is actually a little bit of a surprise because I grew up with this soundtrack practically my entire life. And I kind of expected it to be a top six, if not a top five soundtrack. But in preparing for this, I listened to it again for the first time in years and it kind of fell a little bit, and that was Ghostbusters. <laughs> now, there are songs that I remember and, and I've always remembered and loved anytime I think of that movie. Obviously, you think of Ray Parker Jr.'s song, Ghostbusters, right? Who are you going to call? But also, you have, oh gosh, I don't remember exactly who it is. Some of them are obscure, but you have a song by Thompson Twins in there, you have the song Magic which is like very eerie and and interesting. It has kind of a a first half of it's kind of a synth pop sort of Mm. ballad. And then it gets really eerie and weird that Mm. uh, then that parts in the movie when the ghosts are coming out of uh, breaking free of the containment center. And what else? What's another song on there? Oh, I forget. But well, at the the party at Rick Moranis's character Tully's at Tully's house. Louis uh, Tully, yeah. Sorry. Do you remember what song was playing? Burn, baby, burn, burn. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Disco Inferno, right. <laughs> yeah, that yes, one. yes. There's, yes, it's, it was a monster of a soundtrack. I don't know exactly how many units it pushed out. I, I could probably research that, but I do know it was a huge hit. And I still have the vinyl, I think, that black vinyl with the <sighs> no ghost uh, symbol on the so front. So perfect. And on the back, it had this really eerie, 
green cloud with the Ghostbusters looking up at it underneath. Oh, that poster. I love that it poster. Was, and I remember staring at that and wondering what the hell is going on and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, great soundtrack, Ghostbusters, my eighth favorite. My number seven is Moulin Rouge. This was mm. such a freaking fun soundtrack. Look, I couldn't do, I don't know what you call it. Is it grunge? Is that what Nirvana is? What? You can't? What? I'm sorry, what? What are you telling me about grunge music? Look, Nirvana wasn't a big thing in my house, okay? So, all right, it's grunge. Great. Super. It made it palatable for me at that age. I couldn't do grunge at that age. And Moulin Rouge took it and made it palatable, which I loved. And, you know, you've got their own original stuff too, kind of. Like, uh, isn't... Come what may. Yeah, come what may. The reason I love the soundtrack is because a lot of the music and the lyrics kind of shaped what I wanted love to be, you know, in mm. my naivete. So it was really fun. Children of the Revolution, El Tango, El Tango de Roxanne. Oh, you know, yeah. um, just mm-hmm. <sighs> one day I'll fly away. Mm-hmm. Because, and then because we can, can, can. So, like, mixing up the different songs together to make something new was just beautiful. And then Nature Boy, what else is nice? Diamond Dogs and Rhythm of the Night. Now, do you have a preference between... I thought you were going to ask me this question. One and two, or are you talking about both albums together? I like both of them together. Okay. And... This is a great album example of like, give us everything, damn it. <laughs> if we're going to buy the, the actual physical thing, give us everything. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. Very cool. I thought about it, but it did not, it did not come close to making it for me. Uh, number seven. It may be the only one like this that made it on my list. I had quite a few nostalgia picks that I grew up with. The the, the soundtracks I can't, I mentioned before that basically were compilations of 60s songs, 50s and 60s songs. Like, I grew up with, you know, the Forrest Gump soundtrack. It was a double album soundtrack, has like over 30 songs on it. Great stuff, right? You know, My Girl, I had that cassette. I think I wore that cassette of the My Girl soundtrack out my friend <laughs> it has my favorite chicago song on it uh, hot fun in the summertime and and and, and many others of course temptation is my goal but the one that uh, and stand by me has a 23 minute compilation album with buddy holly and and so many others lollipop all that but the one that ended up staying on my list is from an 80s film called dirty dancing 26 songs i believe in the deluxe version, by the way, of uh, maybe it's the ultimate version, there are half a dozen different versions of this soundtrack out there. And I think it's the ultimate version that finally includes everything in chronological order. And by chronological order, I mean in order of how they appeared in the movie. Is that something that's important to you? Do you need your songs and a soundtrack to be in order of how they appeared in a movie? Yes, don't fuck with me. Okay. I'm trying to, because I'm trying to visualize the film as I'm listening to the music. And if I can do that, I, I have a stronger connection to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is perfect for you then, especially if you like Dirty Dancing, you know? I mean... It starts with the song and the opening title number, which, of course, now that I'm talking about it, I completely forget which song it is from the 60s. 
But then it ends with, you know, I've had the time of my life, which, of course, is the big number in the end. And, you know, it even has the theme. I don't know if it's called a theme, but it's a song that was made for the, the resort that they all sing together on stage uh, in this production number. All these things. So many great songs. I mean, I can belt them out in my car listening <laughs> to this soundtrack. It's so much fun. Only a couple kind of eh songs in the whole thing out of like 26 songs. It's a blast. Dirty Dancing. It's my seventh favorite soundtrack. Shanna, we're at the halfway point. What is your number six? My number six is The Lion King to Simba's Pride. Fascinating. Okay. Tell us about that. So, they bring on Lady Smith Black Mombasa. Ooh. They have Lebo M. They have Angelique Kijo and, and a couple of other people. What you see every day that will never turn away When it seems all your dreams come undone We will stand by your side filled with hope and filled with pride You've got the main song being sung by Liz Calloway and Gene Miller. Liz Calloway is known for doing, you know, the covers of a couple of different movies at the time. So Anastasia, The Swan Princess, The Return of Jafar, you know, a couple of other things. You need to see yourself represented, right? Even if it comes in the form of a lion. And, you know, Simba has a daughter and I love it. And I I just, I had no idea that this film existed until I saw it at Mr. Video. Totally miss having video stores. Yeah. <laughs> like around yeah, the corner. Totally. And I would rent it and rent it and rent it. And eventually my mother got fed up because she was like, you're wasting the credits, getting the same damn thing all the freaking time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually I got the actual VHS and then the soundtrack as well was super exciting for me because there's, we are one, he lives in you, in you Pendy and love will find a way. And I think it was short and sweet and it drove the message home and it sounded more african to me than than the first one the first one is you know taking the best parts of african music and and putting them together in america whereas with this one i feel like it's it's more rooted in african music but you know having lady smith black bombaza come and help you will do that that's very cool I, i should listen to that sometime right on my sixth favorite soundtrack is another one that I grew up with. I have on vinyl. I haven't heard in a long time. But I checked it out. It, you can't stream it anywhere, actually. At best, someone maybe cobbled together a playlist, a rough playlist of what was on there. But it is the soundtrack to Back to the Future, which had two or three songs by Huey Lewis in the News. Honey, I could not resist the power <laughs> of love. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a huge song in the ni- in the 80s and you had of course back in time 
and you roll with me henry too from the dance sequence and i don't remember if johnny b good is on it or not but you had an, also a song from lindsey buckingham probably one of my earlier exposures to lindsey buckingham solo lindsey buckingham time bomb town which plays in the background of a scene in back to the future uh anyway this is one of just like ghostbusters the biggest soundtracks of the 80s that helps define 80s soundtracks and so i absolutely love it and uh, if i could go back to it i totally would i gotta hunt online and see if i can get a cd copy of it sometime because i can't play my vinyl i have no way of doing that but anyway uh back to the future my sixth favorite soundtrack my number five is again disney <laughs> it's, wow interesting it's tarzan Tarzan, Tarzan, the Phil Collins soundtrack. It's Phil Collins' time to shine. Okay. <laughs> you know? um, what a great voice to have with that character. Tarzan is totally underrated as a character. He has this gentle, uh, like the best parts of masculinity in, and portrayed in a gentle, caring way. Mm. And Phil Collins' voice takes it to that next level with son of man two worlds you'll be in my heart yeah and you'll be in my heart was huge the fun with him pairing up you know on the album they have just his version but then they also have a bonus track where he teams up with nsync trashing the camp oh my god with nsync i don't give a shit it was cute all right so You know, just what a, what a nice soundtrack. This is one of those soundtracks I had when I was younger where it had the version that was in the movie. So you hear, uh, is it is it Cora, Kona, uh, the, the mother ape oh, to God. Tarzan? You hear her singing the lullaby, mm-hmm. but then you have another version too. So mm. I really liked having that. Right on. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, not quite Lion King level of soundtrack, but that that was a that was a really good one uh, with by Phil and Collins. But it's my number five pick, Shanna. Now that we've gotten this far, it's time that we cut loose. <laughs> Seriously, you're so lame. <laughs> <laughs> Don't knock it, Shanna. It's Footloose. I'm not lucky. I'm not knocking footloose, I'm knocking you. <laughs> Actually, that was really cute. That was fun. You're so sexy. The soundtrack with uh, with the hit Kenny Loggins song made for the movie, of course, about the teen. We've talked about this movie before. The teen who comes to the small town that has outlawed and banned dances, public dancing. You know, Kenny Loggins, Footloose. You have Denise Williams. Let's hear it for the boy. I don't remember who it was that's saying holding out for a hero, but that was a... It's Bonnie Tyler. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you very much. Eclipse of the Heart Woman. Right. Yes, yes. Badass. Bon- so but that epic. song, there was that song, Hold Out for a Hero. You have Never, 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 Hold My Heart. Dancing in the Sheets. Uh, almost Paradise. I mean, this soundtrack is like one song after another that's so good even though it's like i know it's totally 80s and maybe maybe you could see it as totally cheese 80s i don't know but i love it and i don't know if i had it on cassette i don't know if i had it on vinyl or what but i grew up with it 
I apparently don't have it now. I need to remedy that. Uh, but you I, have my copy, right? I don't. I didn't find it. I oh, didn't find it. So um, I had to stream it on like I think Spotify or something like that. So, and even then, it was like out of order uh, wherever I found it. Um, it wasn't quite right. But anyway, love it. Footloose, my fifth favorite soundtrack. My number four, I'm kind of surprised by. I just recently remembered it is the soundtrack to Watchmen. Oh, interesting. That was a pretty good soundtrack. Really? Okay, what was on Especially if you listen to Hallelujah separately from the movie. Uh, okay. So they All have right. Desolation Row with My Chemical Romance. They have Unforgettable by Nat King Cole and, and Nelson. Uh, they have The Times Are Changing by Bob Dylan. And you have to remember that like when Watchmen came out and the soundtrack was available, it was a voting year. And it felt like a change was going to happen. Here, in the States. In South Africa. In South Africa. Yeah. Very important. So there's The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. There's Pirate Jenny by Nina Simone. There's Ride of the Falkyries. I mean, who wouldn't fucking want that piece? And this was also before, like... I don't think South Africa was quite at the level where you could buy a like a song. Digitally, you still had online. to yeah, you still had to go to the music store and get the albums. And then Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix, You're My Thrill by Betty Holiday, I'm Your Boogeyman, <laughs> you hmm, know. Interesting. So Me and Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin. Okay. So there were a couple of different pieces in there and I I thought it was a pretty cool soundtrack and it used to irritate my my gran with the times are changing. So I don't know what got on her nerves because she loved Unforgettable because that was right, the age of, of music she loved. Yeah. And then <laughs> it would be the times are changing. And it would just piss her off. Mm. So it was, it was always kind of fun to play around with Granny there. Right on. My fourth favorite soundtrack is actually from a documentary. It is Searching for Sugar Man... By Rodriguez. What a freaking good soundtrack. I didn't think about that one. Ah. That's freaking amazing. Ah. That would have made like my top three. No, this is uh, extraordinary. I mean, it takes elements of Rodriguez's two or three albums and compiles them into one album of, gosh, I want to say it's like 14 or 16 songs, something like that. And it's it's just, a pretty dense album. It's uh, it's some of the greatest writing that no one's ever heard. It's so good. N- name them for me, Shanna. What are some of the songs on there? Well, you've got Sugar Man. Right. And you've got... Uh, what's the I one? Wonder. Yeah, I Wonder. Yep. And and so many others. And totally making the South Africans pissed by not knowing the rest of it. Right, he was so he was someone who was huge only in South Africa. Uh, you gotta see the documentary for the reasons why, if you never have. But uh, it is such a great soundtrack and uh, so full of such great music. Wonderful arrangements, beautiful arrangements, these songs are. It's a shame that so many people have no idea what I'm talking about uh, right now uh, with this. There's I Think of You, Hate Street Dialogue, Climb Up on My Music. Cuz, Cuz is a great one.
Cause I lost my job Two weeks before Christmas And I talked to Jesus at the sewer And the Pope said it was none of his goddamn business While the rain drank champagne My Estonian archangel came and got me wasted Cause the sweetest kiss I ever got Is the one I've never tasted Oh, but they'll take Their bonus pay To Molly McDonald Neon lady Beauty's that which obeys Is bought or borrowed There's, there's also like Crucify Your Mind is a good one Inner City Blues Anyway, yeah, so great stuff Love it. Searching for Sugar Man, one of the greatest albums I have ever heard and definitely one of the best soundtracks. And greatest documentaries. Absolutely. Shanna, what is your third favorite soundtrack? It's Bride and Prejudice. Oh, really? And, you know, you've talked about it, about, you know, what you think about it. And I think my favorite song of this whole thing is No Life Without Wife. And we had watched this film in South Africa and then we went to the beach like the next day or two and we were in the waves <laughs> swimming and we were singing that song. It was so stuck in our heads. And it's just such a sweet memory that I have of that. I love A Marriage Has Come to Town. I love the Take Me to Love, even though it's a little... It's a little too sweet for me, but I still like it. I like the part two most. Yeah. Because then you get the backing vocals too. Yes. Mm-hmm. I really just love the freaking movie, and I love that Gorinda Chada gets to do it. Awesome. Wow. My third favorite soundtrack ended up being Purple Rain by Prince. I should correct myself. Prince... And I think it's the New Revolution, if I remember correctly. This is one song after another, one of the greatest albums ever made, especially of the 80s, one of the greatest soundtracks as a result ever made. Maybe you can't say the same thing about the movie, but you got Let's Go Crazy, you got When Doves Cry, you got Purple Rain, you got Darling Nikki, you got Computer Blue... This album kicks ass, and you have some extraordinary guitar solos, great backing vocals, just some fun songs, some iconic songs. It's awesome. It's Purple Rain. That's my third favorite soundtrack. My second favorite is totally sentimental and freaking amazing. It made your list, too. I got to photograph this because my high school did it in their last year 
Oh, a production of it. A production of it, and it's Footloose. This is an amazing soundtrack. You said, oh, maybe it's a little cheesy for the 80s, but it's not. It's just so fucking cool. Thank you. And (laughs) it's like, let's hear it for the boy, uh, holding out for a hero, somebody's eyes, I'm free. I'm free. free. That one is awesome. Heaven helps the man. Yes. Yeah. Such a great song. And, you know, Footloose is cool too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it can ever be used in any other context. So I I don't. Yeah. And and no one had better ever cover that song. Don't touch Kenny Loggins, man. (laughs) But maybe they did in the remake of the film. Fuck the remake. I don't know anything about the remake. I won't even bother. Oh, no, wait, I do. Oh, I blocked it out. That's why I'm having an issue here. <laughs> <laughs> we went to some sort of weird movie theater, too. It was so weird. All right. My second favorite soundtrack is Once. Hey, no way. Again, I like, here's that. the thing. Like, oh, man, someone on guitar, just simple acoustic guitar with some great vocals and beautiful songwriting. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Searching for Sugar Man made my list. But, I mean, that is catnip for me. And Glenn Hansard's vocals, man, come on. In songs like Lies. Little crocs, they And before we knew it was too late Of course, falling slowly, of course, once, but it's those songs like Lies where he's just absolutely aching and in and, and, and pain or, you know, you, you just hear it in his that raw emotion in his voice, you know, mm. it's so beautiful. It, it kills me. I love it. And oh, man. And that album is so damn good. Gold is beautiful. What's another one? When your mind's made up. That's another one. Leave oh, and lies. And when your mind's made up are some of my absolute favorites. I need to shut up about this movie because I'll talk for like another 10 minutes about it's it. It's one of those really underrated love films, you know? Yes. And the soundtrack as well is extraordinary. It's my second favorite soundtrack once. My first your number one. My number one. Of all time. Oh, yeah. Wait, is it on my list? I don't. 
Well, not yet. Oh, shit. Oh, well, when you hear it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, of course, that's there. You're so lame. It's it's so recent. Da, 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 da. Okay. So it's Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, duh. That freaking soundtrack is my freaking favorite. It's, it's your jam. so good. That's the one that I belt off in the shower, sitting right next to you, in the car, wherever. I don't care. Uh, some of the songs that are my favorite are... Oh, gosh. Let's see. What songs do you sing and play all the time? Let me think here. Come and Get My Love. All the time. Come yep. and Get My Love. That yep. is such a good healing song. What That's else? so great. Hooked on a Feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spirit in the Sky. All the time. Mm-hmm. And Cherry Bomb. Yep, yep. And Oh, Child. Oh, yes, yes, that has been played to death as well. Ain't No Mountain High. I I actually can't really listen to that song anymore because it did get played to death. (laughs) So it's it's like every time that's my alarm from like years ago, I'm like, oh, no, I feel nauseous now because I just I can't do it anymore. But what a great soundtrack. Go all the way. I'm not in love. I want you back by Jackson 5. It's so great. Volume 2 wasn't as good as the first one, was it? I was not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I should have expected it. I'm surprised Ghostbusters didn't make your list. Well, I mean, it's really just Ghostbusters. And then Ghostbusters 2 is the higher song. Yeah. So there's maybe one. If anything, too. Wow. Okay. My favorite soundtrack ended up being not Iron Eagle, not City of Angels, not Batman Forever, but <laughs> what is it? singles. Of course it is. That makes sense. That, that DVD is on our pile. The Cameron Crowe movie... I know it's problematic. Some people like really take issue with it, but come on, like, give me a break. Like this thing is such a great collection of music of, of a particular time. And I, I love the songs. I love wood by Alice in Chains. I love breath by Pearl Jam seasons by Chris Cornell. Come on. And there's another Chris Cornell song on it as well. I just can't remember what it is maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong and there's the paul westerberg songs of course dyslexic heart come on no 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 yeah waiting for somebody yeah the battle of evermore which is by the lovemongers which by the way is actually anna nancy wilson the two of them alone from heart you have chloe dancer from mother love bone uh, Birth Rituals, Pretty Badass by Soundgarden, State of Love and Trust, Pearl Jam. I'm basically naming the whole goddamn thing because I love the entire album. And I even have, I think it was five years ago, maybe, I had like a 25th anniversary yeah. or something. Yeah, they did. Some sort of anniversary deluxe edition. And that's basically a whole second album or a second disc with all these other songs on it. 2017, okay. Yeah, three years ago. So anyway, um, I love it, and uh, it's my number one favorite soundtrack, singles. It kind of was a no-brainer for me. I kind of knew it would be one or two uh, for sure, and it is definitely number one. Uh, Shanna. Their cover is so Seattle. (laughs) Yeah, totally, right? Absolutely. I think that's Pioneer Square, That must be where it is because it looks incredibly familiar. Yeah, so... 
was this a tight list for you or did you have any that you didn't quite make it man you know i forgot about mary poppins that's a really good one i expected that to be on your list we yeah talked about it was that gonna one. be but then you know what was the deciding factor was you know what you don't include the the whack on the husband's head so you don't get in there are you serious <laughs> wow okay it's such a beat that you need right, you know all right, all right. and then sound of music moana kind of i think it it just barely qualifies. Anastasia, Juno. Yeah, most of the Moana one, surprisingly, is is all score. Like, there's like eight songs, maybe, out of 26 or some monstrous thing. That's mm-hmm. not score. But those eight songs are really fucking great songs. Yeah, which is why I you know? wanted it, you know, right. but, but it didn't qualify. And- not much. Not much. Uh, not, not too much. Not, I didn't include the Quentin Tarantino things. Like I love the mm. Kill Bill soundtrack, but I didn't include them. Yeah, I kind of go back and forth about the Kill Bill soundtrack, even though I do own it. I, I just there's songs on it that I do love, and that's why I have it. But the one that fell off was City of Angels. There's ten full songs that are not score. There's four, three or four score pieces. I love nine out of ten of those songs, but Fiddler on the Roof booted it off. Iron Eagle, I grew up with that vinyl growing up. And then I mentioned several others. Batman Forever, Gross Point Blank was a contender that I I really like with honors also. Romeo and Juliet, but I realized it's really only the second half of that album that I actually Mm -hmm. really dig and not so much the first half. Uh, and then um, I, I mentioned Beverly Hills Cop and uh, Wedding Singer is a, a decent collection of 80s songs. All of these were made up by two dozen that I took into consideration. It was just a matter of arranging and which ones actually made my 12. So, But what are your favorite soundtracks of all time? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That does it for this episode. By the way, this was going to be the Wonder Woman 1984 episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to pair it with soundtracks because it seemed to have this 80s vibe to it, an 80s music vibe to it. So we've, we, we're basically playing one episode at a time here in terms of planning things out because movies are basically canceled in 2020 (laughs) like everything has been moved to next year it's ridiculous before we talk a little bit more about that shan i want you share with people where they can find you on the internet you can find me on instagram at shanna underscore paxton underscore photography and if you're interested in my incomplete flick chart list you can go to find me at spellbinding a that's the letter a not the character that goes a whose name i can't remember because i have a concussion yeah that one (laughs) yeah you gotta update that flick chart list go to the gibsonreview.com if you would be so kind feel free to take a gander at my feature on charlie chaplin's full feature films that i wrote up i'm working on one hopefully that will be released by halloween that is halloween themed if everything goes well you keep an eye out for that in a couple weeks. But do check out the Charlie Chaplin one. You'll also find every episode of The Movie Lovers on that website. Also go to social media. Uh, Facebook slash The Gibson Review. Instagram, go to The Gibson 99. Have fun there. I'm a little more active on there. You'll see that I have uh, polls on Instagram stories there. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think there's anything new to update. We're finishing up 
Uh, it'll be finished, actually, by the time this hits your ears. The poll for your favorite director of all time. I'll update you on who ended up being the winner there next episode. But in the meantime, just go to Instagram and check it out for yourself. You know, you'll see all the winners announced of the previous polls and how all that went down. Um, it's a lot of fun. I might do 2014 next, um, aside from soundtracks. Also, find me on Flickchart, the Gibson 99 there. Next episode. Again, we're playing these episode by episode, trying to play it by ear. I think we're going to review The Trial of the Chicago 7 by Aaron Sorkin. I'm hearing really solid buzz on that one. That uh, is being released on Netflix. It may be an awards contender this year. So we'll talk about that as the main event in the next episode. And I think I made an error. I made a mistake. A few episodes back, you know, we did our favorite discoveries of going backwards and through time, right? The first Aftershock episode. Uh, I meant for us after that to do our favorite movie years. What years all through history of film are our absolute favorites? So I meant to do that before actors and directors. We'll do that in the next episode. Our favorite movie years paired with the main event of the trial of the Chicago 7. So uh, feel free to look forward to that. October 27th is when it should hit your ears. Hopefully my upcoming piece on the GibsonReview.com will be ready around that time as well. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye. See, here's what they do great about what... Fuck.